0: Welcome to All I Know Is This, a podcast of First Presbyterian Church. My name is Amy Star redwine I am one of the pastors and the head of staff here at the church. For the first four episodes of this podcast, I interviewed... Some of the other pastors on staff here at the church and the Reverend Pam Drizell, who was with us this past weekend for our first winter gathering. The theme for our winter gathering was All I Know Is This, speaking from the heart about life's big questions. Pam talked to us about discipleship, and during this season of Lent over the next six weeks or so, we will be exploring this topic, All I Know Is This, about specific topics related to discipleship, so digging a little bit deeper into this big theological topic. So to kick us off today, I am interviewing another member of the clergy in our First Presbyterian community, Um, but he is not one of the pastors on staff. Uh, He attends worship regularly. He's also not a member.
1: Semi-regularly.
0: Semi-regularly. I am delighted to welcome and introduce my husband, Derek Star Redwine, the Reverend Derek Star Redwine, uh, who, well, I'll let him introduce himself.
1: Myself, introduce. (laughs) I will talk like Yoda. Um, What am I saying? Just who I am, why I'm here?
0: I should set that up better.
1: (laughs) That was perfect. (laughs) Um, Um, I've been in ministry for 20 years, I've known you for 20. Three, right? I that sounds think right.
0: That's right. Yes.
1: Twenty years of ministry in different contexts. Worked in New York City for a while, um, Denver, Colorado for a while, Akron, Ohio, Cleveland, Ohio, and now I've moved to Richmond with my family to figure out what's next.
0: Um. So let's start with a general question. Can you tell us a little bit about what discipleship means to you?
1: Sure. Um, Discipleship. I kind of see it, you know, I taught school for a while and um, the idea of learning and kind of being a student of life. um, I was thinking about this on the way up here, but I think there's periods in your life when you have to work on something. It could be a personal thing. It could be a corporate thing. It could be something in your community, your church, your place of work. But I think disciples are folks that are willing to engage those learning moments with God with Jesus, kind of engaging, turning to a chapter, seeing what's before you, and diving into it openly and honestly, um, looking for answers and and hopefully growth, and then things move along and you find yourself at the end of the chapter, you take a deep breath, you give thanks, and then you wait a while, and then life throws you another curveball, which is a new chapter to start, where you engage with those around you and with God to go deeper and grow. So it's a lifelong learning process with God. I think you can be disciples of life and not have God in it. But I think for Christians, part of the process is inviting in God to that process of learning and growing.
0: So this Sunday, which is the um, Sunday before Lent officially begins with Ash Wednesday, the lectionary text, which it is every Sunday before Ash Wednesday, is... Uh, One of the gospel accounts of the transfiguration, when Jesus takes three of his disciples up a mountain, and something happens to him up there, he becomes bright white, Moses and Elijah show up, and the disciples aren't sure what this is about or quite what to do with it. So I know you've preached this passage more than a few times. Yeah, a lot. Uh, What do you know about transfiguration?
1: Yeah, it's a mountaintop experience, right? Hmm. It's those things we want We crave, um, those moments where we feel like we understand things more clearly than we did before. Um, I've I've always tied this to mountaintop experiences, Mm -hmm. in that God, I think, not as much as we'd like, but God grants us these moments in our lives when we see things, or we think we see things more clearly, are kind of knocked off our feet and kind of given a moment of, wow. And it doesn't have to always be religious. It can be falling in love or experiencing something joyful. A good concert can do that sometimes, mm-hmm. but you feel like transcendent. Okay, uh,
0: you know I have to ask this now. Yeah. What – is there a mountaintop experience that you've had that – Oh, sure. – kind of stands apart for yeah. you? Yeah,
1: oh, several. I mean, falling in love with me? Well, clearly. <laughs> but it's funny you say that, but that began in a process of, of self-discovery and kind of working on my own stuff and mm-hmm. – um, I think my friend's death, growing up, as, as horrible as it was, that moment when David died, there was a sense with my dad that I, I felt closer to him than I ever had before, and that kind of set me on a path. Um, there's, I've been to concerts before where I've heard music and just felt like I was separated from my life for a while and given the space to not be anxious or worried. Hmm. But I think what I've learned the hard way is to to celebrate a transfiguration moment kind of dazzling moment where God is present in a new way, or something is present in a new way, that is almost always followed by going down the mountain into mm-hmm. the valley, in Jesus' case, into his ministry. But I think the promise is, I'm with you, right? I'm gonna be... And, and you hold on to that dazzling moment, and that carries you through, mm-hmm. hopefully, the difficult times. But I think that after its transfiguration, it's very common to feel not right after, but soon after, that God's abandoned you in a sense, because Mm -hmm. such a presence is followed by what feels like an absence, which is really just life unfolding before you in the way it needs to for you to work on your stuff. Yeah. So.
0: Yeah. Um, You brought up the idea of a promise that's kind of inherent uh, in the transfiguration, and this week that's what we're thinking about in terms of all I know is this. It's about promises in part because uh, of, of that very thing that you identified that the transfiguration sort of stands as something for the disciples to hold on to as they go through these really difficult days. And um, to be honest, one of the reasons I invited you to talk about this topic is because, you know, we're married, we've made promises Mm -hmm. to each other. And then, We've had twenty years since yeah. then of all kinds of experiences together and and I'd love you know to hear you to hear your thoughts on what do you know about promises, like the big promises that we make and certainly yeah. marriage, but there are others too, yeah. baptismal vows um yeah, i think
1: i I think the my initial thought is the idea of promise. A promise is never separate from something else. It's it's tied to something. It's tied to a relationship, to an institution, to a community. That promises are not something you kind of put in your pocket. They're lived out, right? They're tested. They're they're enacted. They're rubbed up against. Uh, pushed back on. So I I think it's perfect that transfiguration and Lent. I think you can't preach transfiguration without preaching Lent. Mm-hmm. You can't preach the mountaintop without the journey. Um. So the promise for me is like look this is the moment of clarity is almost always followed by confusion and discord and uncertainty but then the promise is we're going to come back up the mountain again be given another gift of insight that will propel us forward into further growth and understanding i mean marriage gosh that's not marriage i don't know what it is <laughs> i mean we're here in richmond because you had a mountaintop experience when you interviewed and you mm-hmm. saw very clearly this is where we were supposed to be. I felt that too. Talking to you,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and then we started going down the mountain, right? And, and yeah,
0: and you and you sort of left the uh, job. The upheaval of moving our life and kids pulled, and pulled the
1: kids away yep. from place, from family, from friends. And each kid, as we know, has grabbed onto something in the past more than others, other things. But we've all we've moved down the mountain, and now we're kind of mm-hmm. in that space between mountains Mm -hmm. living. But gosh, I mean, how many times have we kind of said this is where we're supposed to be? Right. And we say that, and we don't believe there's only one path in life. We don't believe there's only one place you can work. We don't have that kind of theology. But we do believe that you were given a call. Mm -hmm. And that has given us strength in the more difficult moments to say, this is where we're supposed to be. This is all right. And that's the promise. And
0: I really appreciate your... um, kind of framing it as there's the mountaintop experience and then there's the path that you have to walk on after. Um, And that to me is a very helpful way of thinking about the season of Lent and sometimes I think it can be confusing how to understand Lent. The easy thing is to think about, well, this is six weeks where I have the chance to give up something I've been wanting yep. to give up anyway, sure. for whatever wine, reason. Yeah, whatever. yeah coffee. Um, Please don't. I won't. Okay. But, uh, but I think Lent really is meant to be so much more, and can be.
1: Yeah. Well, and I, I think it's really important too that. You know the mount. I love the mountaintop imagery here because I think we we crave mountaintop experiences. But if we're both runners, we train for races. Or you more than me, but we train, and it gets easier, right? So the hope is I think you have a mountaintop experience. You encounter God in a new way. It reframes your understanding of things. You go back down into life. You work through some issues, some struggles with this new information. You come to another mountain. You have a new insight. But all that while you're training, mm-hmm. you're getting better at climbing, at hiking, and I I think. I don't think every Lent has to be this, you know, slog of dehydration and depression and ah, but I think it, it is a sense of recommitting to the work of faith, mm-hmm. which can be actually fun sometimes when you've got the muscles for it. Your first Lent is often your hardest one, where you really are for the first time saying, "God, help me right. figure this out." I'm facing my addiction. I'm facing my broken relationship. I'm facing my lack of identity or sense of identity. Those are hard things, but I think over time. Well, and sometimes better.
0: there aren't I mean, sometimes there are external circumstances in sure. life that that yeah. really precipitate those big questions, who am I? Yeah. Who is God? Yeah. What am I here for? But for many of us yeah. when we're kind of in the thick of it, those those are not the the present questions day to day. And Lent really offers us then an opportunity and I love your metaphor of training um, if you you train differently, if you know there's uh, a race coming, I'm for example, the Monument 10K is sure. here in Richmond in another uh, five six weeks, and I've started n- seeing you well, know on Saturdays there's more and more people out yeah. running um, because there's a race coming up. So Lent can be that way, yeah. It's an opportunity, yeah.
1: It doesn't have to always be painful. Right. But it gives you something to shoot for yeah, and also helps you remember it doesn't last forever. I think people need to know that Lent can look different for everybody. Mm-hmm. It's not so much work as it is refocusing, recommitting. Um, yeah, and there are seasons that are more difficult. Mm-hmm. But I do think discipleship, I mean, I'm pulling back the layers of str- sin and struggle and doubt we have and kind of exploring where they come from, that's not easy work. But the promise we talked about earlier, I think the promise is that resurrection is the next mountaintop, Mm -hmm. and that's not just Jesus coming out of a tomb. That's my relationship can be restored, my identity can be rediscovered, my health can be brought back to me. I mean, Mm -hmm. all these ways we kind of rediscover who we are, that that that's part of the purpose. That's the promise that this won't last forever and the work is worth it, like a race you get the medal, you get the certificate. Mm-hmm. We don't get that, but that, but I do think there is something.
0: There is something that is fulfilled yes. at the end of this. It's a promise fulfilled. Well, and for me, it, it it's important that disciple comes from the same word as discipline. Yeah. It does take work, and it takes disciplined work. And again, I think Lent is just one of those seasons in um, the course of the church year that invites us to sort of recommit to the discipline of discipleship.
1: There's a triangle, and there's faith, promise, work. I think Lent is actually one of the few times we're given permission to let go of the faith piece Hmm. and stop trying to believe more Hmm. and trust that if I do the work, Hold the promise, do the work that something will come of it. Mm -hmm. I don't think lent's a time for us to become more Christian or more faithful or Mm -hmm. more kind of, you know, stressing ourselves to to believe more. I think actually lent's a time to say it's not about you. We're focusing on Jesus for a while. Mm -hmm. Stop trying to believe this story, live into it, live into your own life, hold on to this promise that that's, that's enough. Mm-hmm. I mean, plenty of folks in the scriptures have no faith, but they they commit to something, they engage something, they, they seek out something, and they f- are given something. Right.
0: I believe. Help but, my unbelief. But I think
1: that's a big misnomer of, of Len. It's like, oh, it's a time to renew my faith. I think it's a t- I think it's the opposite. I think it's mm-hmm. a time to let go of trying to believe this ridiculous story and let it work on you Yeah, and hold the promise, which I guess is a kind of faith, but... I think Lent strangely is actually the one of the more open times for non Christians to kind of, or folks who struggle to, to be present, because mm-hmm. it's really raw and dirty and kind of hard. Yeah, to and enter suffering into this and doubt, story. Uh-huh. Yeah. and it ends with failure. Which hello, yeah, we yeah. all know that. That bumper sticker we saw, or the license plate we saw with the words "failure" on it yesterday. Yeah,
0: we were driving behind a car yesterday, yeah. and the the license plate of this car was failure. failure.
1: And like, I want to have lunch with that person. Yeah, that yeah. person is has figured something out. Yeah, so.
0: Well, speaking of uh, figuring something out, I have two questions that I want to ask before we let you go here. Um, And these are questions that I've asked everybody that I've interviewed. So, what is one theological concept that you learned in childhood that has stayed true for you into adulthood?
1: Stayed true for me? Mm -hmm. Forgiveness works. Mm. That it really, grace really is a good idea Mm. to. Forgive yourself, forgive others. To extend that really does set you and the other person free. Hmm. You
0: know? Yeah. Yeah. And works. what's a question that remains unresolved for you? A theological question.
1: Um good, good gracious. Um a question that remains unresolved. Sorry, I probably should have given you these. No, that's fine. I, I love the spontaneity of the whole thing. <laughs> I, I think The idea that, I mean, I talk so much about growth and change, but as I get older, I'm starting to wonder if it's growth or change or acceptance. Like, do we really change all that much or Hmm. do we get better at accepting what we are? Hmm. Because I'm I'm baffled with the fact that most of the stuff I'm dealing with at 46, I was dealing with at 18. Hmm. And I, I find that both disheartening and confusing, but also kind of freeing. And uplifting. <laughs> that, yeah. So that's my question. Is how what does transformation look like? Is it really changing how this is how you're hardwired, or is it more going coming to terms with how you're hardwired and kind of learning to to lean into that and and not be so anxious about it? Yeah. Yeah, maybe.
0: Um, so I'm so grateful that you've come to talk to me today. Not that we don't talk all the time, but yep. we don't usually have quite such deep theological conversations when we're mostly comparing our calendars yes. and which kid needs to be where, yeah. when. Um, so I'm really grateful to have this conversation and, um, of course, exceedingly grateful for the promises that we've made to each other. Likewise. Um, and thinking about this topic of promises... What really sticks with me from what you've said today about transfiguration is that these mountaintop experiences that each of us have had in some different way really give us something to hold on to in the day-to-day work of following Jesus and that Lent is really a season where we can approach that work in a different way. Um, And I really love what you said about Lent actually being A time where we can let go of trying to understand and believe, and let these promises of God work on us. Uh, So I will be trying to do that during Lent this year. and now that I've said that, you're going to hold me accountable to it.
1: Sounds
0: good. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you for listening today to All I Know is This. We will be back with a new episode each week during the season of Lent. Uh, looking forward to interviewing some great people from the church, from the greater Richmond community, Uh, about these Lenten topics, so please do uh, continue to listen and contact me. I'd love to hear your thoughts. What are some of the promises that you hold on to? What are some of the practices you have during Lent that mean um, the most to you or have been really effective in some way for you and um, we'll look forward to seeing you around the church if you came to the winter gathering last weekend uh, you got a chance to experience pam drizel in person if you didn't we will be posting some of the audio and video that we have of that event on on our website and possibly even in our podcast feed so keep an eye out for that see you soon